Welcome back to another episode of our Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. I'm your host. Thank you very much for tuning in. I have a very exciting guest today, and I'm very, very grateful. Before I introduce my guest, I want to introduce my book, which is A Gift from Adversity. The same title as my podcast, A Gift from Adversity. This is available on Amazon. And the subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. And I have I experienced all of this trauma and adversity. And I started to do a lot of motivational speech and guest speaker gigs. And a lot of people before I published my book asked if I had a book. And I didn't. So I published it. And I'm very grateful for all the help I got. My publisher, BookLogic's and all the fans who have been supporting me to publish my book. But now this year, I decided to do a podcast because I felt very compelled to share not only my story, but other people's story who had been to some trauma or adversity. And it's been a wonderful journey, not only learning about the adversity, but the tools that people use to overcome and a gift that came from it. So let's introduce our guest today. Hi, Nicole. Thank you so much for coming in to A Gift from Adversity today. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So Nicole, can you please tell our audience your name, where you're from, and then what you do for work, and if you have a website or social media handle that you want to share with our audience? Sure. So I'm Nicole Housen. Um, I'm from Essex, Ontario in Canada. Um, I do social media marketing and you can find me honestly anywhere. My handle is just my name. Um, so just make sure you don't miss the H in Nicole and you're good to go. Great. Thank you so much. And then what do you do for social media? I know you have some explanation on the Facebook. So what exactly you do? Yeah, so I work with businesses to help them market their business and their clients' businesses um, using social media, email marketing, copywriting, graphic design, kind of all the things um, that you would need to do for online marketing. So we do that. I have an agency um, with currently 11 people on our team. So um, lots of fun, lots of different clients. We work with people in Canada, US, and the UK. So um, we have a wide range of people. Hold on one second. Sure. Sorry about that. So we are on live interview. Um, so before um, we start our topic at uh, Gifford University, so you're from Canada, I just want to mention um, I've had several guests from Canada and I'm very grateful. And then so far I've had very much of different countries, um, guests. I just had guests from uh, Thailand, uh, New Zealand, Australia, and it's very exciting to have guests from all over the world who are uh, sharing the story and I appreciate you coming in. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here. Great, so let's dive into our first question, which is the adversity. So can you please tell our audience, what was your adversity? 
Sure. So I struggled with depression and anxiety as a teenager. Um, and when I turned 19, I had what we now know to be a manic episode from bipolar disorder. But at that point, I was undiagnosed. We didn't know. So I packed up my whole life, moved to the other side of the province uh, with a guy and watched my life fall apart over the course of a year. Um, and at the end of that year, I had hit such a low point in my life that I didn't find, I didn't think there was any out for me. Um, so I ended up attempting suicide, not once, but twice um, in the course of 48 hours. So um, I struggled quite a bit um, with that um, at that point in my time. Yes, I am so sorry to hear that. Um, so let's go back a little bit. And then how did you realize that you were having a depression? Um, I had a hard time functioning. Um, I was very active in the church, in the community, at school. Um, and I just, I lost all motivation. I struggled a lot. I was crying consistently um, and was struggling with self-harm. So there were some warning signs and, and that sort of thing um, that I was, I was really struggling. Um, and after going to the doctor to tell that um, I had depression and anxiety. So um, at some point, like when you're growing up, did you have any trauma? Um, a little bit here and there. I, I had um, some deaths in the family and that sort of thing. And that kind of triggered a little bit of the depression. And how old were you when you had this attempt? When I attempted, I was 20 years old. 20 years old. Then. Do you mind if I ask how old you are now? I am 28. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And um, anxiety and depression um, has so many variety of symptoms and then, you know, identifying what it is. And sometimes people don't know. I, my, myself, I didn't even know what PTSD was until I was 22 mm -hmm. because there was no education. There was no talked about and especially coming from this um, abuse and domestic violence or the situations. Um, it's been very um, difficult to even acknowledge that you do have these conditions. So when you found out, how did you feel? When I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder after my attempts, it was like the answer to all of my confusion. Um, it suddenly made sense. Everything I had done, um, my whole life, every, every little piece of like, what is going on? Suddenly it was like, oh, that makes so much sense. Of course, that's why I reacted that way or, or I was acting that way. Um, I was having a manic episode or I was in a depressive state and being able to see that, um, really helped, um, me understand what was going on in my life. I had a moment where the psychiatrist heard my whole story. We talked to her about everything and she got down right in front of me and she looked me in the eye and uh, she said, Nicole, this is not your fault. And it was like a wave of relief flushed over me um, because it was, I, I was just so ashamed of everything that I had done and how I had acted. 
and um, knowing that it wasn't my fault. Obviously, I still have to own up to my own mistakes. Um, those don't just get washed away, but it, understanding that it was because I have bipolar disorder and not because I wanted to act that way um, was a huge, um, it was, it was eye-opening and it totally made me feel better. Can you please explain our audi audience what exactly bipolar disorder is? Yeah, so bipolar disorder is a mood disorder um, and it can cause manic episodes, which is when you um, are acting uncharacteristically and usually a little bit um, irrational or like doing things that are abnormal to your personality and potentially dangerous. Um, and so for me, it looked like I spent a lot of money. I did some sleeping around and started drinking um, all things that I wouldn't have done before. Um, it was just out of my personality, but that's what I was doing at the time. Um, I was on multiple different medications and not taking any of them correctly um, and just not understanding how to take care of myself at that time. But thank you so much for explaining because sometimes um, I don't understand multiple personal disorder or bipolar disorder and the difference and then the fact. And then, um, so what age were you diagnosed? So 20 years old, you diagnosed after the attempts and then, but until then you didn't know. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, how do you think it affected you not knowing what you had for the first 20 years of your life? Um, there is clear moments where you could tell I was having a manic episode and nobody understood. My parents just thought I was a difficult teenager. Um, and understanding now I was having a manic episode, my parents were like, oh my gosh, I wish we had understood that. But we didn't talk about mental health. We didn't understand what bipolar disorder was until I was diagnosed and we did some research. Um, and we didn't, we didn't see that at the time. I remember there was this one moment and I was, I was probably in grade six and my friend was having a birthday party and I was super excited to go. And my mom wanted some help around the house. Um, and I remember just completely losing it and not wanting to help and crying and screaming and throwing a fit. And my mom was like, listen, if you don't stop, you're not going to this birthday party. And I remember going to the bathroom and I was crying and I looked in the mirror and I was like, okay, enough. Like, you have to stop. We want to go to this birthday party. And I walked out of the bathroom and completely lost it. And I didn't go to that birthday party because obviously my parents um, followed through on um, consequences. Um, but I remember thinking to myself, it's not my fault. Like, I didn't mean to do it. Um, I had no control over it. And now understanding I was having a manic episode. Of course I had no control over it. Um, but at that time, it just looked like I was being a difficult teenager. So similar thing happened to me because I was never diagnosed with PTSD due to my sexual abuse and domestic violence and all that stuff that um, my mom thought I was crazy and I had a suicidal attempt when I was 15 as well and then she thought I was just crazy teenager and then she kicked me out when I was 18 she thought I was just ungrateful and I think um it would be definitely different like you know if there was a mental health talk and so Canada um how is the situation in terms of understanding the mental health 
um, especially younger generation now, um, with e either depression, anxiety, bipolar, how is the situation now in Canada? Um, we talk about it a lot more now than we did before. Um, as a teenager, there was no talk about mental health. There was no Bell Let's Talk, which is a, or, um, a campaign to get you to understand more about mental health and how we can support people. It raises money um, for people who are struggling. Um, we, there was none of that. Um, there was no understanding of what depression, anxiety was. So the doctor offered me medication and my parents were like, no, we're going to, we're going to pray for you and it's going to be okay. Understanding now that yes, prayer can work. And I, I'm hundred percent a Christian and I, and I totally agree with that, but also medication is allowed, <laughs> um, and can definitely help when you are having a chemical imbalance in your body. Um, so understanding now that it's not just um, a personal choice to be depressed, but it can genuinely be a, a chemical imbalance um, is really helpful to understand because now we know how to treat it. But there was no talk of that as a teenager. Um, and, and as a young adult, we didn't understand any of that. So I'm 46 years old. And then in Japan, when this extreme adversity was happening, it was in the 80s. And then nobody talked about incest, no, like no Me Too movement whatsoever. And women's rights being very, very minimized, the country itself, it was just hell because it had no idea. Then even later on, I would say, like I have panic attacks and I don't know what it was and I don't know what's it called. I was just, I was just crying. Like you said in the bathroom, like, you know, you know, crying, losing it. And then I like sometimes hide, I was hiding and locking myself in the bathroom or so sometimes I have to pull over, you know, when I was driving and it's just like really, you know, when you are like said, oh, you had a bipolar or you had this condition, then, then it's almost like, oh, you have fever, take Tylenol or ibuprofen, but you don't really get the temperature inside of your brain. Mm -hmm. So you can't diagnose it. And then not so many people know how to cope it. Like, like you said, it's getting out there, the mental health talk. Mm -hmm. um, but back then in Japan, especially, uh, there was like absolutely no help, no understanding. And then even professional level, I don't think anyone would have ever understood. Now, for a bipolar diagnosis, um, how important was it for you? It changed everything for me. Um, it, it helped me understand what was going on in my body. It helped me learn. It, it taught me that I have to, I have to be very in tune with my body. Um, I'm very conscious of when I'm having a bad day. Is it a bad day because things happened or is it a bad day because my anxiety, depression, PTSD, everything is out of whack? Do I need to call my doctor or do I just need to take a day to relax and, and sleep and take a nap and, and reset? Um, and so I have to be very aware of those things to be able to get um, the support that I need and to support myself. Um, but before knowing that, um, I didn't, I didn't know how to take care of myself. It's, it's taken, um, eight years to get to the point where I am now, where I can successfully 
handle having a panic attack and then being like, okay, you know what? I am okay. Um, and being able to pull myself back up after that, um, before it was just, um, I didn't understand what was going on. So you said you had a death in your family that might have caused the anxiety or depression. Do you mm -hmm. mind share a little bit about it? Um, my cousin, my cousins um, were twins and one of them passed away um, within a, um, within a day of being born. So that was really hard to understand um, and make sense of They were, they were um, born prematurely um, and were the size of my dad's hand um, when they were born. So um, it was really hard to understand that we, um, they have an older sister um, and she was living with us at the time. So there wasn't really time to grieve because you didn't want to be upset around her. Um, so it was, it was a struggle. So the only time I could grieve was at school, um, uh, which you have to be in school and, and pretend everything's okay because you can't burst into tears in the middle of class. Um, and so it was a struggle for me. Um, and it, it took me a long time to be able to grieve through that. Was there any other elements that you can think of that caused the depression, anxiety, or bipolar? Um, not that it caused it, but it triggered it. Um, I was heavily bullied my whole life. So that, that didn't help at all. Um, and, uh, knowing that was, um, it was a struggle to kind of feel safe wherever I was. Um, what age were you when you were getting bullied? When, when did it start? Um, SK? Um, from the time I was, uh, in, in school, um, I, I can remember being in like grade one and somebody calling me fat and me feeling miserable about myself. Uh, they called me Santa Claus actually. Um, and I was so upset. Um, and I, I, to this day still remember that feeling. I remember being called Santa Claus and it's such a random thing now. Um, but that was, I think that's the earliest um thing that I can remember outside of like no you can't play with us um and being singled out and that sort of thing but and how long did it continue uh right up until grade 12 when I when I graduated um and then I kind of just hit a point where I didn't care and honestly if I'm being honest um cyberbullying is the thing and I'm an adult and I have a tough skin now um but I still get negative comments on stuff um uh I, I get comments on YouTube all the time of people being rude and disrespectful and, and calling me names. And um, it's still hard and it, it hurts. I purposely don't look at my comments anymore until I'm in a place where I can handle it because I don't know what's going to get thrown at me. Um, but if you go viral, don't look at the comments. That's my, <laughs> that's my, uh, my advice. <laughs> so when you are getting bullied at school, um, bullying is such a thing the people don't understand the depth of the trauma that creates it um i recently interviewed a father who lost his son to a bully at age 13. Mm -hmm. he committed suicide mm -hmm. due to a bullying and people just don't understand how bad it is and i was bullied when i was 
also getting sexually, physically abused by my dad. That was really numb. The whole situation, I would say, um, playing dead was my coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. So I lost word. I was mute. I couldn't speak at all. And I think that happened to Maya Angelou as well. After she was raped and spoke out who it was, and he got arrested and he got killed. And then she thought it was her fault, and then she lost her voice for several years. Mm-hmm. And then she obviously, you know, got her voice back. She became the best author and poet. But when you were getting bullied, like, how was your feeling when people are listening to this podcast and have never been bullied in their lives? Like, how do you describe the feeling of isolation and singling out and people saying these mean things as teenager or as young as in elementary school? It's awful. What What do you remember? What kind of feelings do you remember? I just feel being singled out, um, feeling gross and bad about myself. Um, I was so concerned about my weight as a teenager that I ended up with an eating disorder. And um, I I was in really good shape and I was still like, oh my gosh, I'm fat and please don't look at me and um, really concerned about myself. Um, it, It made me so insecure that it took me years to get past that. And there's still times where I'm super insecure um, and it's feeded back because I was bullied so much um, as a kid. Did school do something about it? Not really. Um, you You can talk about it. Kids get smart, honestly. They don't do it in front of a teacher and then it's he said, she said. Um, we talked about bullying in school. Um, I just, I found every time I spoke out, it got worse. So I stopped. That is just so awful. It's the second and third shock waves that we experience as a victim of bullying, domestic violence, sexual abuse. The people don't believe you. Mm -hmm. And that is sometimes worse than getting bullied because you're already bullied or you're already abused and you want some help you want somebody to rescue you and they understand you and then bystander mm-hmm. but oh no not bystander but upstander sorry upstander be on your side but then i've experienced that many times too nicole that even my mom or even some people just you know don't believe it Mm-hmm. and like teachers like you said kids can get smart out and like what you said she said he said and just get hash hash and that happens in adult world too yeah sometimes i would say adult world bullying is worse than kids because we get smarter, strategic, and, you know, intentionally, like, hurting people in many ways, like, smartly, it's really, really bad. So I am so sorry, first of all, that you went through that and that you had no aid. 
and you are no ally. And then shame on the school and mm-hmm. system that did not help a child to be safe and then to be okay to be educated because that's your human rights to be educated. And what happened with the relationship that you mentioned, the boyfriend, um, you had meltdown stuff. Can you tell a little bit more details what happened? Um, yeah, I was, I was dating him down here. I moved up there. Um, honestly, I, I don't talk about it much cause I don't want to, I don't want to, um, make him look bad. Um, honestly, we're, we're mature adults now and, um, things happen. So, um, it, I wasn't the best person I could have been in that relationship. I was manic. Um, I have to own up on a lot of stuff that I did, um, that I'm not, I I'm genuinely ashamed of. So, um, it just, it was a bad situation. It wasn't the right time. Um, and we both learned a lot. It's, um, very sad that especially when you're not, when you were not diagnosed and then when you didn't understand why, but then when you love somebody, it affects somebody. And then it's really stemming from, I would say bullying too, that you are the victim now later on in your life these relationships that you form they can be also the victim of the stem from the abuse or bullying in earlier so all these people who bully people they don't understand the lifetime effect in how it can screw somebody's life of they're making fun of just they thought it was a joke and they just don't understand the weight of it Mm -hmm. and i've had that with my first husband that i was so depressed and i was having a lot of panic attack and i ended up getting divorced and that was like like what you just told me like i blame myself and then but at the same time like i really didn't know what was and then how to cope and then how to understand how brain works mm-hmm. like 20 years ago. Yeah. Not at all. So um, I really appreciate you being honest with me and then sharing your experience. And I'm very sorry again that happened to you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And how are you feeling now? Are you doing okay? I am. Yeah. Uh, I was diagnosed with PTSD. Um, a few years ago and knowing that and understanding that I have medication now and lots of therapy um, that I'm doing to kind of support myself and help myself um, through that. So it's a learning experience and I'm not a hundred percent, but I am so much better now than I was before. And that's, that's saying a lot. So good. Good to hear. Before I move move on to our next question, which is a tool, um, I want to mention something to you and also to our audience. New York Mayor Eric Adams, um, he was misdiagnosed with dyslexia for the longest time. And he is this African-American, very powerful um, uh, former commissioner of police department and became a mayor in 2022. He was arrested uh, when he was a teenager. Uh, due to police brutality, and then he was raised by a single mom called Garbage Boy because she was 
always afraid of eviction. So they were carrying the new clothes in case he'd get evicted. And the whole time he was bullied and um, not knowing what it was. And then he didn't know that he had dyslexia. Mm -hmm. So when he became a mayor of New York City, he implemented dyslexia screening even from the preschool and also in prison system. So that people can understand and tackle these, you know, disorders that people suffer, that there are tools available, right? So mm -hmm. it's the significant story, historical change, systematic change that may save a lot of people of getting bullied and learning, right? And I think goes same to your story as well. Had you known that and had people known that it would be different for sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, let's move on to the tools. So what are the tools that you use to overcome this? And before you answer it for me and to our audience, I just want to let you know that it has been such an empowering part of the podcast. Um, I wanted to do this podcast not only to share the adversity, like I said earlier, but the tools are very unique. And these are the survival skills that we all didn't know how mm -hmm. and wish we knew how sooner. And it's very important to me to interview this because this is a real life story and this is a real struggle and trial and error. And I would say, this could be saving somebody's life. So can you please share what are the tools that you use to overcome? Yeah. So one of the struggles that I found was when I was having a panic attack or when I was super depressed, um, I didn't know how to help myself. Um, and the worst part is when I'm, when I'm healthy, I, of course, I know all the steps, but when I'm struggling, I can't even begin to start to think about those steps. So one of the things I did was I sat down and I created a map that was literally built out on this big Bristol board of when you are depressed, these are the things you're going to do. So it started off with things like self-care and then it was um, stuff like make sure that you're drinking enough water, eating a healthy meal, going for a walk, taking in uh, like getting a solid night's sleep. And if that doesn't work, we're going to call the doctor and we're going to talk to them about potentially um, changing medications or, or getting some extra support. I'm going to make an appointment with my therapist to talk about it and see if there's something we can do there. Um, and then right down to the very end where it was like, okay, if I am suicidal, I'm going to go to the hospital um, and breaking that all down so I can follow that step instead of going from, oh my gosh, I'm depressed to, I think I'm dying. Um, and there was, there was no middle ground because I just didn't know the steps to get there. And so knowing how to take care of myself was really, really helpful. So I had that Bristol board for a very long time. Um, and my mom actually helped me draw it out. Um, and she was like, okay, he, here's how I can support you and help you because she didn't know either. Um, and we were just learning this together. It wasn't until a few years ago that I really started to understand, understand self-care and what that means. Um, and I kept saying to people, oh my gosh, I don't want to take a bubble that bath and do a face mask. It doesn't, that doesn't sound fun to me. Um, <laughs> when I'm struggling, that is not, that is not 
what I want to be doing. Um, and so knowing that it was like, okay, well, what is self-care for me? And so, um, a lot of times when I'm struggling, it's because my world around me is a little bit chaotic. So one of the things I do, and it seems so silly, but self-care for me can be, okay, I'm going to unstack and stack the dishwasher. I'm going to put in a load of laundry. Um, I'm going to wipe off my counters. And it seems so silly because it's like, how does how is that self-care? But really, it's just something to reset me and make me feel better. Um, self-care can be literally anything as long as it's building you back up and not tearing you down. Um, and so understanding that now, um, I, my coach used to laugh at me because I like reading books about crime and that sort of thing. And there's a whole series on serial killers. Um, and it's all about them finding them and, and, and stopping them and everything. And she'd be like, how is that even self-care? Like, that sounds awful. I'm like, I don't know. I just, I, I find it. Okay. Um, mind you, my self-care, <laughs> that's not self-care for me right now. Um, but for a while that was my self-care is I would sit there and I would read a book. Um, and it, it looks different in every season. It looks different, um, for every person, even every day. Um, but knowing what that, what that can be and pulling just random things, um, from that, um, can be really helpful. I think the coping skill whatever it works, writing it out and then putting it on the wall and have it accessible and like do it like daily, not just only the time that you are having a panic attack, mm -hmm. um, build up the muscle and the resilience to a day that you may get triggered. And mm -hmm. then practicing these tools that you just said that works for you or for anyone that is unique to them and writing it out, putting the chart, like those are really important because we work with subconscious as a human being. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the consciousness, especially when you have the PTSD panic attack, the limbic part of the brain fires up and the cognitive part of the brain blackout, just can't comprehend anything especially those are the times your instinct or even some of these practices of self-care that kicks in and that makes a huge difference, especially when you try to kill yourself or have these suicidal thoughts, um, really dark place that you go. And how can you snap out of it? It's so important. And I was talking to emergency clinician and a lot of police respond and they have a code for a suicidal attempt um, calls where police procedure is lock them up, put in an ambulance and then, you know, go to the ER. But then emergency clinician's procedure is to talk to them. Mm -hmm. And that is different. And the police are... Uh, understanding because of the pandemic there were a lot of those calls mm -hmm. this is what i heard that nowadays when you have those calls the emergency clinician comes with the police instead of just the police coming in with the emt and locking you so not just what we talked about earlier the mental health talk is getting more out there but then the system itself is changing a little bit, especially after the pandemic and then during the pandemic that 
so many people are so depressed and isolated and then you know the whole world basically and how do we cope that as a collaborative effort so i think that is making a change and that's a game changer for pre-existing condition as well as you know whether pandemic or not so how would you say in canada now you kind of mentioned earlier the mental health talk is a little bit maybe better but how about the police response to these, these suicidal calls or maybe clinicians like you know emergency services or hotlines how is it how is it working in canada that's a really good question and not one that i can answer i i'm not really sure at this point that is okay but you know when people have access you know in america they have like a suicidal like a hotline and i've had several friends who volunteered as a receiving callers too so you know i think more resources we have like you have the tools you have the you know therapists or coaches that and uh, understanding you and your struggle and then being on your side instead of bullying you and blaming you i think that's such a game changer in your life yeah absolutely so, any other tools that you want to share with our audience besides what you just um shared with us um breathing exercises are really great i in therapy uh, we explored many different ones um and different coping and grounding techniques as well um i honestly <laughs> have one saved in the um the tab is always open in my in my browser on my phone so i can click on that video and it helps you breathe um so whenever i'm having a panic a panic attack i can click on it and be like okay and it takes several times of watching the video to get my breathing down to the 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 way that i'm breathing the way that they want me to um, but it immediately starts calming me down because I'm not hyperventilating and I'm able to focus on my breathing and help ground myself. Um, so breathing techniques, um, if you can learn, there's one that um, if you if you draw like a um, infinity symbol on your on your hand or on your arm and breathe with it as you're going through. Um, I found that one really helpful because you're feeling it on your skin. So it's helping you focus on that, but also it's focusing it's building your breathing um, and helping you calm down as well. Um, that can be a really great one as well. But there's there's so many different ones. You can Google them um, and look for grounding techniques or breathing exercises. How do you do the figure eight on your palm? So you breathe in when you are drawing or breathe out? What do yeah. you do? So you breathe in and then breathe out. Um, and so you just, you draw it slowly. I was doing it a little fast. <laughs> but you, you do it slowly and just continue to breathe in and breathe out. Um, and you're thinking about your breathing while you're doing it. Um, so it's, it's helping you focus on that. So like, or something? Yes. Yeah. So you go infinity mark, one circle, half is breathing in or half is breathing out? Yeah. Oh, I've never heard of that. And I like that when you do it on your palm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my daughter showed me to trace your fingers, each fingers, and breathe in and out for five times. Oh, that's a good one, too. Yeah. She's like six years old, but she sees a guidance counselor twice a week. And then I think the guidance counselor told her, um, and she's like, Mom, if you're frustrated or upset, do this or something. And he showed me. 
very cute, but it works very well because especially when you are doing uh when you are in the stage of hyperventilation and panic attack you are breathing so shallow and it's such a bad um, cycle now i've done it a couple of times it's like and you can't breathe and then what's the app what's the phone do you use like an app breathing something you have you said you I have a video on YouTube. If you just Google breathing exercises on YouTube, there's there's different ones on there. Oh, okay. So you just YouTube the breathing exercise. Yeah. Yes. This is the best part of the podcast, to be honest with you. I have a guest from Thailand. Um, it's a tra- trauma release exercise. He mentioned that, and I watched the YouTube. It looks really intense. Um, and also one of my guests told me rage room, which you pay and break everything. And I found it similar here. Half, half an hour away from where I live, go just smash it. And I paid $55 with me and my son, and they gave um, two milk crates full of beans and like, you know, glasses and like, you know, wine bottles and stuff. And they give you weapons and then you just smash everything. Yeah. <laughs> so that was very empowering too. So whatever works, but you know, traditionally people say go get a therapist, but I like that, like, you know, when you are reading the serial killer book and then, you know, reading about it i like i like watching these like um very intense documentaries as well and it kind of um give me a perspective of how crazy human being can get and then how to compare my situation and that and how people survive through it too so you're not the only one i like these like it's almost like a learning the crazy psychology and how did it get to where they are and then how you know i think compared to like you know what happened to me i think that is kind of helping mm-hmm. absolutely yeah well thank you so much nicole so my last question is a gift that came from it so what would you say a gift that came from your adversity absolutely so when i was diagnosed, I needed a job I could do from home for a little bit. I just needed to recover, but I still wanted to do something to make myself feel worth it. Um, I read a lot about people who kind of gave up after they got their diagnosis and well, this is me and this is how it is. And I was like, that's not gonna be me. I need to do something. Um, And so I started a business uh, doing social media marketing, which I now eight years later, run a whole agency with with team members and everything. Um, and so I would not have started that if I had not had that diagnosis and that time where I had to recover. Um, and so it is definitely a gift and it's something that came out of it. That's really great. Well, I'm very happy to hear that you found some happiness and niche and ways to help yourself and not helping other people. And I'm very proud that you came out on the other end of it. However, it was a hell of school year and some trauma that you had to endure. And I'm very sorry again. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm very grateful that you came and shared your conversation on this podcast because sometimes sharing a story can really help people feel not feel they're not alone Mm -hmm, absolutely so before you go what would be your advice for somebody who is going through the similar adversity that you went through Hmm. 
Um, I would say talk about it. Um, continue to talk about it. Continue to ask for help. Um, worst case scenario, talk to people online about it. There's so many different groups of people that can give you resources and help. Um, there's a website called The Mighty, um, and they talk about mental health. I, I'm an author for them, um, but there's all sorts of different um, articles on there that explain what, what you're going through and how to recover from that. And um, just keep searching and fighting for yourself um, because there is answers to that. When I went through my attempts, I didn't think there was any other option for me. I didn't know where to look. I didn't know what to do, um, which is part of the reason now why I talk about it so much is because I want other people to know that it is possible to, to move past that. Thank you so, so much. I really love that advice. And then I hope that even one person who will be listening to this podcast can get something out of our conversation. I'll be very happy and mission accomplished. So thank you very much, Nicole, for having uh, to come to a gift from adversity today. Thank you so much for having me. Great. And thank you to our audience for your support. I have more guests coming up in the month of September and October, and then we will see you next time.